Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Oh, today is a good day, man. We are, have been talking through uh, what we call the Foursquare Gospel. We're in the third part of a four-part uh, series on the Foursquare Gospel. We've talked about this, and this, as by way of a little bit of an introduction, I just want to remind us that um, we are part of a denomination. We don't do much talking about that necessarily, not because we're ashamed, but it's just, uh, it just doesn't come up that often. But uh, it's called Foursquare, and what it's, it's a play on words. Foursquare four is an older word that means something that's well-built or solid, but it also reflects four doctrines about Christ. Now, there are more than four things we believe about Christ for sure. There's many doctrines we believe, but these are four what we consider foundational or primary doctrines about the Lord Jesus that are important for us to do. And they're represented by these symbols. First, the cross we talked about two weeks ago, which is representing Jesus Christ, our Savior. We talked last week about the cup, that Jesus Christ is our healer. And today we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Next week on Palm Sunday, when the king came into uh, Jerusalem uh, over 2,000 years ago, we're going to talk about our soon coming king. So these are four big doctrines that we believe in that are super important to us. But we're part of this denomination, uh, the, a group which we, we think of them as a family. We're just a family of churches that kind of lean into the same things. And, and, uh, and in fact, we don't really like the term denomination. We actually, on our cornerstone of our first church that ever was built, was the word inter, interdenominational, interdenominational church of the Foursquare Gospel. And uh, we like that because um, we, are a, we are a group of people that, uh, and we're not a denomination in, that builds walls, let's say, but we are into building bridges to people, okay? That we want to have bridges. Now, when you hear me say that, don't read anything political into that statement I just made. You understand? Walls are sometimes important. <laughs> in fact, the entire book of Nehemiah in the Bible is all about building a wall. So, you know, if we're going to go down that road, but uh, I'll just leave that there. Okay, so <laughs> I really don't want to go there at all. Um, Anyway, but, but we, we appreciate, and we talked about this a few weeks back as well with, on another topic, that we, we love all expressions of the body of Christ here, okay? We do. And we believe in them. And, uh, and I, I, I guess for me, it's a little hard sometimes as we took out, talk about some of the social media and some of the different things that you read out there where people are, are using whatever platform they have, whether it's a big platform or not, I don't know. But you, enough of this spreads around about people. Sometimes they call themselves apologists, but, but they're in there's some good apologetics out there, don't get me wrong, but there is a lot that is just demeaning and demoralizing and just, just seeking to pick apart at little things that, that there's a difference in doctrine, and so this person will say, well, everything, that entire group of people is out to lunch because, you know, they believe this, and it's, you know, in, in their interpretation of the Bible, it's off a little bit. Listen, I don't go in for any of that stuff, and I hope you don't either. Let's not pay attention, and let's not give a lot of uh, creed and credit to that kind of stuff in our lives. We want I believe that this is foolishness and an affront to Jesus Christ because it's his body, it's his bride. And we talked about that. It's so important that we get that. But we use the dove to symbolize the Holy Spirit. And remember, the Holy Spirit is not a dove. He doesn't look like a dove. He is God, <laughs> okay? He is one of the members of the Trinity. But we use the dove because the Bible says when Jesus was baptized in water, that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, not in the form of a dove, but like. In other words, the idea of how a dove would come down and land was the same idea. But we've kind of gotten it in our minds that the dove represents uh, the Holy Spirit. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But... Um, 
So, so Jesus Christ is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit is what we're going to talk about. And I believe that besides your salvation, this might be the most important doctrine in the entire Bible, to be quite honest with you. And I hope that will become clear as we start to go through this. But if you would, get your Bibles out and open them to Acts chapter 1. And uh, we will go through actually part of, uh, parts of Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. So you can just leave it open. If it's electronic, just, just keep that page open. And we'll go through some scriptures together all through this message. But let me start by praying and then, then we'll get rolling. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for helping us to grasp these important doctrines and truths that God you have given to us. And Holy Spirit, as we sang in song, we also say now, you are welcome in this place. Fill this place with your atmosphere. Not only this building, which I believe you will do, but you also, would you fill every one of our hearts and our lives with your presence and with your atmosphere. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, if you've known Rhonda and I very much, we, you know that we had a marvelous week this week, a wonderful week. Uh, Rhonda and I have been blessed and challenged this week. We've been watching three of our uh, seven grandchildren, and you know we absolutely adore these children, but I got to say, wow. Just wow. I mean, uh, for instance, last night, Cove is two years old, and he asked me to come and play Legos with him. And so he said, uh, Papa, play Legos with me. I said, and I was sitting there in my, my very comfortable new chair thinking about that. And I thought, all right, all right, you know, this is grandpa duty. So I go and I, uh, I, I get in there with him and I uh, go downstairs and I said, what do you want me to build with you? And he said, a spaceship. I said, okay. So I get together this spaceship uh, and I start working on this thing. And he's kind of, and I'm saying, look for a part like this. And, you know, he's two. So it's like, he's just digging through. The, and by the way, we have more Legos than you do, but, you know, just to say. We had three boys, and I don't know how, but we've got massive bins of Legos. It's all kinds of Legos. So, uh, yeah, if you want to play Legos, come to our house. So anyway, he says, you want to come play Legos with me? I said, yeah, and I'm building this spaceship, and, and I, I just I got kind of into it, you know. I think Kent can probably relate to this, yes. And uh, so I got into it, and I'm building this really cool spaceship, and I'm looking for certain parts, and I'm, I got like wing, kind of little wings on it and a motor on the back, and, I'm, and, and it kind of dawns on me that now I've been doing this for a while, and I, I realized somehow in the timing in my mind, I realized Cove left about 10 minutes ago. And I'm still sitting there <laughs> building Legos. So <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> that's kind of the way it goes. I, uh, I've been all alone building Legos. But, but before they left, Alex and Brianna uh, did what I think every parent does if you're going away on a long trip. I know we did it a lot is because uh, the kids are upset. Oh, don't leave. Don't leave. You say, if, we'll be back. And when we come back, we're going to get a present for you. We're going to bring you a surprise. Don't we all do that, right? Does that sound about right? And so we would do that with our kids, and uh, it's being passed on generation to generation here. And so they kind of leave them with this hope that they're going to get something really special because they've been gone for a while. And, uh, and, uh, and again, we say that because we want our kids to be okay with us leaving. And, um, and I think there's a little bit of that in what Jesus was doing with his disciples in uh, as he was preparing to leave himself. The, the second half of the book, Gospel of John is really telling the story of the last week of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. It's interesting that half the book covers, uh, 
you know, essentially from birth to 33 uh, years old or so, and then one week is covered in the, in the second half of the book. 50% of the material is all about that last week. And it's important because Jesus is saying, uh, there's something I need to communicate to you guys. And if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, you'll look and you'll see a lot of red letters in that part of the book. Is Jesus communicating some very important truths to his disciples. And I, I just want to show you quickly, and you can see these on the screen. You won't need to turn there because you're in Acts still. But, but in John, this is, I think this is what Jesus is doing when he's getting ready to go, is preparing his disciples for the same kind of idea, if you will, that parents often do with their kids. He says, uh, starting in John um, 14, 25 through 7, but verse 26 is the key. It says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, okay, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I live, leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So that's an important passage. He's saying, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm going. Don't be troubled. It's going to be okay. I got a present for you. Then uh, one chapter later, the exact same verse 26 again, he says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And then the one I think we're most familiar with, John 16, 7. So 14, 15, and 16, now verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So this is, this is that kind of parental side, if you will, of Jesus saying, look, hang out, guys. It's going to be okay because I got to go, but I'm going to send you something. And uh, in the case of our grandkids, the gift will be great. But I got to tell you, and it breaks my heart, these little guys, because every day that the parents say, I miss my mommy and daddy, right? Yeah, right? And we're sitting there, yeah, I know, but, you know, they're in Germany, and that means nothing to them, right? So they're on a mission trip in Germany right now. But I, I tried to show them, I, I got Google Earth out, and I tried to, you know, it's like, no, it's just not, I don't know, it's just where my mind goes. I wanted to show them. But so, so with our grandkids, what really is going to mean the most to them, right, isn't the gift at mom and dad. That'll, that'll be a short-lived joy. But really what's going to excite them the most is when mom and dad are back. Does that make sense? When they get to be with their mom and dad again. But this is what's amazing about what Jesus is saying here. Can you, can you wrap your mind around the fact that, that the gift that the Father promised is ultimately himself? See, because the Holy Spirit is God. In fact, the way we d deal with God or the way we relate to God as New Testament believers is because the Holy Spirit is in us. When we say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart, it's not, you know, if I could just say technically, but three in one, you know, all that. But technically, Jesus is seated at the right hand of Father. Who's really coming to live inside of us is the Holy Spirit. And this is what's so profound about this. So he's not only saying, I got a gift for you, but I'm saying, but he's saying the gift is me. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I've got something for you that's going to be so profound, so amazing. And so, so this is what Jesus is doing. Now, so, so what Jesus will say, and now we're going to look at Acts 1, 4. He said, and this is when he's talking about this gift that's coming. Acts 1, 4, and 5, we'll read right now. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you've heard me speak about. And then he ties it into John's baptism here. He says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Baptism with the Holy Spirit. He says, you're going to be baptized. What does that mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Some people, some believe that it simply means that you, when you become a Christian, when you become a believer, then the Holy Spirit comes in you. So far, so good. They're right. And that's what it, he, Jesus is talking about. And that there is some truth in that, but that is not what Jesus is talking about. And I'm going to show you. The people that he's speaking with are his disciples. Agreed? Right? He's saying... The, the, it tells us right there, these disciples gathered with him on Mount of Olives. He's standing there, he says, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised. And we know that that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will baptize them. But, but this is not synonymous with salvation. It's something else he's describing. And we know that because these are already believers. The, the disciples are already believers by this time. Do you understand? They're believers in the resurrected Christ. And how do I know? Well, if you were to look back, but you can look on the screen at John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, the word that is in the Greek, and it's an important word in that sentence because referring to verse 1 of chapter 20, which tells us that it was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Are you with me so far? It says, on that first day of the week, when the disciples, same people, were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands on his side. Disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So in that moment, uh, on the day of his resurrection, these Men and women, I believe, in that crowd as well, though they're not named, but they both were all receiving the Holy Spirit in them when he breathed on them. Would you go with me that far so far? Sound good? So that's what's happening in this scene. But, but this, is re this is, again, referring to Resurrection Sunday. Our text from Acts is happening some 40 days later. Okay? Some, so maybe, maybe 37 to 40 days later, depending on how you, how you count it out. But... but there's something else happening here. There's something he's saying in Acts. He says, now go into Jerusalem and wait for a few days, and then the, the gift that my father promised, which must be different than what they received 37 days ago, you with me, is going to be poured out on you. You're going to receive that gift. And so, so again, it's, it's these same disciples who are with Jesus now on the day of his ascension, and he says, this is what's coming, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, 6, just the next verse, it says, So when they met together, they asked him, and these guys hadn't quite figured out that the kingdom of God is what Jesus was introducing that superseded all the kingdoms of this world. So they were still thinking, we keep thinking, they were keep thinking the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to set up an earthly kingdom. And by the way, he still is, but it's yet to come, right? But his most important thing that he was about was to establish the kingdom of God, and that's what will endure forever. Okay, so on this earth, there's only uh, only the earthly kingdoms of this world will fall before the kingdom of God eventually, and Jesus will reign on this earth. But that's the we're in the in between time. So he says, when we met together, um, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by His own authority. He says, You're talking about something that's going to happen later. That's what he's saying there. But verse 8, and this is, again, the last words that Jesus speaks while his feet are on planet Earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. These guys already have this Holy Spirit in them. Okay? He's saying this is something else. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the Earth. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. If you're a believer, you already have the Holy Spirit in you. 
but you also need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, which is a secondary experience, to receive the Holy Spirit in a way that he comes upon you, or what we call a baptism. Baptism, you know, is an interesting word because uh, when we're baptized in water, we only the outside of us gets wet, right? But the word baptism also means, uh, like a sunken ship, for instance, was considered to be baptized, or ba uh, baptized, if you will, um, if it was at the bottom of the ocean. And the idea was, not only was the outside of the sunken ship completely covered by the water, but guess what else? The entire inside, every compartment was filled also. Okay? This is what that word is insinuating. And so now we're talking about something different. It's not, not just that he's in us, but, but, and not just that we're filled a little bit. We're filled to overflowing so that it's everywhere. So upon you is the terminology that the scripture uses here. So he says that's what's going to happen to you. The Spirit's going to come on or upon you. And he says you're going to receive power. What is that power for? It's for, well, it's for many things. It's for living a holy life to God, for living in holiness. And, and you know, I don't know about you, but given my own flesh, sometimes I'm very easily swayed by things. I'm very easily drawn into things. But in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's like your, your faith is supercharged and your ability to live a holy life becomes supercharged by the Holy Spirit as well. I'm not saying you'll never sin again. I'm saying... There's help. He's the, that's what advocate meant in the, when Jesus was saying that other, other uh, translations will use the word comforter or counselor. He's going to come alongside you. That's really what it is in the Greek. It's someone who's going to get right beside you in a sense and walk along with you and help you in life. And so there's this baptism of the Spirit to help us live a holy life for God. There's things that Jesus said we would do, healing the sick, raising the dead, Casting out demons, doing the works of God. Can, can any believer do these things? I think they probably can, but there's something about the baptism. He says, I want to give you a power. I'm going to clothe you with power, he says. It's going to be amazing. And uh, so all these things are going to happen. Doing the works of God, being used of God to speak new languages, prophesying, in other words, speaking what God is speaking to others, giving words of wisdom and knowledge, discernment of spirits, faith for miracles, all kinds of great stuff. But, and some people will say, well, the reason for the baptism of the Spirit is to have power to be a witness. How many have ever heard it that way before? Well, the witnessing is included, but it's not what the Scripture says. He says, you will receive power, and here we go again. The word and is in the Greek language. I looked it up. So the word and is in there, indicating there's more to it. There's power, and you will be my witnesses. So there's definitely a link between those two, but they are, that, that is not the only thing that it's for, is to just be a good witness for Christ. It is, where, it is far more valuable than that, even as valuable as that is. And so we see that the disciples go to Jerusalem. They stayed near the temple and worshipped after Jesus ascended. And, and about seven more days will pass. And then we come to chapter 2, verse 1. Look at this with me. It says, when the day of Pentecost came... When the day of Pentecost came. The day of Pentecost is a feast that happens 50 days after the Passover. The Passover was the day that Christ died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. 37 days is the day of ascension, if you will, because uh, it was a total of 40, or, uh, 40 days. He, excuse me, 40 days plus the 3 plus the 7 makes 50. There, I got it. Uh, forget the 47. I don't know where that came from. Okay, so... <laughs> 37. Um, but but total, the total days were, that he was here were uh, 40, plus the three of, the, of his death in the tomb and, and his resurrection, and now seven more days take place, and he, there he is, and they're waiting as 
he told them to in Jerusalem. It says that they were worshiping together. You can read this at the end of the Gospel of Luke. It says that, that they just stayed continually at the temple, worshiping him, worshiping. Oh, every day they just got up. Let's, what are we going to do today? We're, he said to wait in Jerusalem. That's what we're going to do. We're going to Jerusalem. What else are we going to do when we get there? We're just going to worship. That's all we're going to do, right? It's a good place to be, folks. There's really nothing wrong with that. Maybe take a week's vacation sometime, and let's just worship God. I don't know. Let's do that. But anyway, that's what they did for a solid week. And on the day of Pentecost, which would have been a Sunday, actually, the Holy Spirit was poured out from above. And so it said, let's continue to read then. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Tongues is a word that's used. It, it simply means languages, other languages. Now, imagine being in that room. Imagine yourself being in that room. It, um, uh, Ron and I have been to that site. The original room that they were in was destroyed in 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, but they rebuilt a, a, on that foundation. They built another building there, if you will, with an upper room. And I tell you that, and Rhonda can testify this, it's not even half the size of this sanctuary is the size of this room. I'd probably say it might even just be a third the size of this sanctuary, but there's this upper room and and uh, be a tight-packed place for 120 people, let me tell you. It would really be something. Uh, in fact, we probably had close to 100 people on the tour, and we, we worshiped and we sang some amazing songs, and we spoke in tongues like crazy people in that room. But again, this is a place that was built in 600 AD, but on the same site and it is an upper room and so you kind of get that same feel of being there and because uh, because it was right there in Jerusalem right near the temple anyway but picture yourself being there with 119 other worshipers you've just been worshiping for seven days now and you don't know which day it's going to happen but all of a sudden you hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind and if you were a Jew this would probably connect in your brain this this idea of the wind you might even remember your Old Testament story about how the wind came and blew all night and separated the the sea so that your your people could walk through on dry ground or you might remember the wind that was associated when Elijah was in the mountain and and he was uh, crying out to God and and uh, the wind tore through the mountains that day. And you, you, you just the wind itself, the, and the word in the Hebrew is uh, baruch, and then uh, the, in the Hebrew it's pneuma, but it's, or in Greek it's pneuma, but this breath, if you will. And that's, of course, Holy Spirit. The word spirit is the same, is the same word. Spirit is breath. So you hear this breath, hard blowing, like, wow. Remember Jesus in, in, uh, in the previous scripture, Jesus breathed on them. Now, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. We had the breath of God, and then we had the breath of God. I mean, this is a big moment. This is this is this was when Jesus breathed on them. It was a small group of people. This is something that's going to light a fire on the whole church for all days to come. And so they're they're being poured out on the Spirit in that moment. And then there something else happens. A fire shows up in the room, and it, the way the wording is, it seems to be that the fire shows up, and it's all in one group as it, as it starts, and then it separates and comes to rest on them. Or we had little kids' Bibles that used to show little little bitty flames like a candle on top of their head. Or I, I just believe that this flame, because of the word baptism, ha, had engulfed them, that you would look at each other and see like a tongue of fire, right? Like the shape of a tongue over a human being, that there's fire in that person and that's what I believe happened that day I can't prove it but either way there's fire on everybody what if it's a candle I don't care it's still pretty cool okay 
And, and when you saw the fire, you would think about God as well. You think about the, the, the pillar of fire that led them in the wilderness day after day. Or you think of the chariots of fire that lifted Elijah up and took him to heaven. You would just, all these things would make connections in your mind. And you would realize that, and then all of a sudden you've got, you've got this rushing mighty wind like hurricane sound outside the building and inside the building. You've got fire everywhere. You just don't know what's going to happen next. And all of a sudden, unexpectedly, really unexpectedly, they all start speaking in languages they don't know. Talk about a wild party, all right? Lord, I'll take a little wild party here if you don't mind. If you're up with that, think about it. Come on, that'd be all right to have a little bit of that. One day we had the fire department want to do some testing on our building. I kept thinking, man, I hope for the day somebody calls in and says there's a fire at the praise center, and they come over here and they look, and it's just, it's just the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? I'm just hoping for that someday. So uh, in anticipation of that, I told them, be ready. So, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, all of a sudden they start speaking in languages they don't know, and they wouldn't have anticipated this unless they'd interpreted uh, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11, which says, For with stammering lips in another tongue he will speak to this people. And so there was indications of this even from the Old Testament. But they began to speak in languages they hadn't learned. Now, the languages that day, we don't know whether the miracle was in the speaking of those languages or in the hearing of them, but they were known languages, we believe, because there were uh, groups, there were 13 groups of people there that spoke different languages that heard a commotion of this rushing mighty wind and tongues of fire, and then all of a sudden people start speaking. And this is the miracle part of it. Even though they're all speaking all these different languages, 13 different nations that were there heard them speaking the wonders of God in their own language. I think it's more of a miracle of hearing than necessarily of speaking, but either way, it's amazing because God sorted all those languages out so that everybody heard the wonders of God in their own language. What an amazing moment that was. But there are also, let me tell you about tongues, because there are the tongues of men, the Bible says, but there also are the tongues of angels. There are languages, and it specifically says in 1 Corinthians 14 that there are some of these tongues that are spoken, and we believe these to be more devotional, private uses of tongues, but could be for tongues and interpretation as well, that are completely unknown to any other man. No one knows the tongue that you're speaking, but it's only a language that God understands. And I find that to be quite comforting personally. I like having a secret language between me and God. And I like the fact that God prays through me, and I don't have to come up with all the answers in my prayer to cover all the eventualities. But God, you know, it, Paul says, I'll pray in the spirit, I'll pray in the understanding. I'm going to get both of those covered. Because in my understanding, I cover what I know, but in the spirit, I can cover what God knows. And that's everything. So that's amazing. And so, so we have these languages that are only known by God. And then later in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul will say, I, would, I wish every one of you would speak in tongues. Now, that's pretty important, church, right? Here you have the guy who writes most of the New Testament, most of the doctrine that Christian people believe today is saying flat out, I wish every one of you spoke in tongues. That's pretty important. He goes on and he says that tongues are a sign for the unbeliever. I believe that's talking about especially what happened on the day of Pentecost when a language is spoken and God either does a miracle in the speaking and or the hearing so that that person understands that language and God's wonders are declared. He says in four places in 1 Corinthians 14, everyone can speak in tongues. He goes on and he says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. And then Paul brags a little bit. I like this guy. He's fun. He says, I speak in tongues more than all you guys. I do. I just, you know, people sometimes read the scripture that says, well, I'd rather speak 10,000 intelligible words in the church than five words in a tongue. Well, I like that he said five instead of zero, number one. I'll just say that. Do you understand what I mean? He's not negating tongues, but he's saying, 
what he's specifically referring to there is like right now, if I were to stand here and speak in tongues and nobody understood it and there was no interpretation of the tongues, then you would all hear just stuff that wouldn't make any sense to you and you wouldn't be built up at all. So I'm using my 10,000 words right now. In, you understand? But this is not a negation, nor is it a, a prohibition on us speaking in other tongues in a church service. But if someone's voice rises above and you see someone speak loudly in a tongue, then the requirement of an interpretation coming. Otherwise, he says, speak to yourself in tongues and to God. Speak to yourself and to God. So, so the, listen, you say, what's this deal about tongues? It makes me uncomfortable. I get that. I understand. It kind of makes me uncomfortable, too. I don't know why this is the one. Maybe that's the reason God chose this one of all the gifts. Wouldn't it be great if everybody got the gift of uh, miracles, right? Right? Wouldn't that be great if we all, the first thing that happens when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit is you just go around doing miracles. And it's like, wow, man. Like we'd be lining up people at Praise Center to come receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so they could do miracles. But I think God's going to make the bar a little bit interesting for us to, to just check with us. And here's why I believe he does this. is for the reason of faith. It's for faith. Because here's what I believe. I believe if you will believe that what sounds to you like nonsense and baby talk coming out of your mouth is a language from God, then God comes and says, all right, I see your faith is quite, quite divine there. It's my kind of faith. Let's see about this, and it began to add to us other things. And so some have said, and I think there's some truth to this, that the gift of tongues is the doorway gift, if you will, to the other gifts, because what it does is it opens up our faith by, by we believe. We say, God, if you're going to speak a language through me, what else would you be willing to do through me? I'm not minimizing tongues and saying it's unimportant. It's obviously very important, and if of any of the gifts that are mentioned that are given at the initial receiving of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, Tongues is mentioned profoundly more than anything else. Prophecy is mentioned once or maybe twice, but, but tongues is mentioned the most. So, so the other gifts may or may not be manifested, but we can seek them as needed as we go along. He says, uh, seek the greater gift. What's the greater gift? It's the one you need, I think, at that moment. Now, going along, we'll wrap this up fairly soon, but Acts 2, 5 through 18 um, we're going along. They've already had the day of Pentecost. It says there were in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Skip to verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine, right? And uh, I love Jensen Franklin on that subject. He says their only defense that they weren't drunk is that it was nine in the morning. But, uh, but anyway, uh, I don't know about that, but... Uh, in, in some cultures, in ours, I think that wouldn't necessarily be true. Nine in the morning could be a bad time for people, too. But uh, anyway, then the, verse 14, we start with the words, then Peter. And then this is interesting because Peter, I can imagine the other disciples seeing Peter get up at that moment and going, oh, no, not Peter. Oh, of all guys to get up and start talking right now. I mean, he's the guy that told Jesus that he would never go to the cross. He, he, uh, you know, he was the one who, who swore he wouldn't but denied Jesus three times, right? He's the guy who couldn't even tell the resurrected Christ over a breakfast of fish that, that he really truly loved him as Christ was saying, I love you. Do you love me, Peter? And he would reply, I love you. But we know from the original Greek that he wasn't saying the same words. That you understand what I'm saying? This is that Peter, the same guy who's been kind of a goof. He's put his sandal in his mouth countless times. And all of a sudden he gets up and addresses the crowd. I can see the rest of the disciples. James, you know, anybody, not Peter. But something has happened to Peter since the last time he opened his big fat mouth. 
He's received a baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's something different about this man. He gets up and he begins to raise his voice and he addresses the crowd. It says, he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. All this nonsense in language here, all this stuff you don't understand. Let me explain what's going on to you right now. Listen carefully to what I say. Peter's a changed man. He's preaching with power. He's preaching with enthusiasm. He's preaching with a, a, a purpose. Down in verse 15, he, again, he says, These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Verse 16, he says, This is what the prophet Joel said was going to happen. Again, tying it back to the Old Testament. It says, In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit then uh, uh, in those days and they will prophesy church hear me out if those were the last days what do you think is the spirit still being poured out on people today absolutely these are the last days if there ever were last days and what if joel promised to pour out his spirit then or, or god promised through joel to pour out his spirit back in those days he will pour out his spirit all the more in these days. Peter goes on preaching this amazing sermon down to verse 36. Let, he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, or Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And, everybody say, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Tying it all the way back to, to the first chapter. He's saying, you not only did, was this for us, but this is something that's coming for you too. He said, and he says that. He says, this promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the promise that God made. This is the gift that he promised was coming. Who is it for? It's for those standing in the crowd. It's for their children. It's for those who aren't even in the crowd. It's for everyone who's called by God, which is basically everyone who knows the Lord and loves the Lord. And then what are the results of this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, that day, a man who had trouble saying the right thing stood up and spoke with a new passion and a new power. And in verse 40, it says, he, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Those who accepted his message, 3,000 were baptized. What kind of baptism did they have? Well, actually, there's three different baptisms. There's what the Bible describes in Romans 6, actually. It says that there's baptism into the body of Christ or the blood of Christ. That means you're saved. You, get, you come to Jesus. You get baptized into Christ. You become all of, of what Christ is. You get saved. And there's a second baptism, which we did a few weeks ago on a Sunday night, baptism in water. But there's this third baptism that he's describing, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Which is saying, so is no, there's no, because he had just told him this gift is for you and your children, for all who are far, there's no reason to believe for a moment that Peter did not, uh, that, that, that those people in that crowd did not, um, they all received all three baptisms. Baptism into the body of Christ, becoming believers. Baptism into water. There were these pools nearby, these ceremonial washing pools where they could do this. We saw some of those that were excavated from ancient times. And then baptized, no doubt, in the Holy Spirit that day as well. Can you imagine the end of the day, those disciples, how exhausted they would be after going through all that, leading 3,000 plus people to Jesus, baptizing them all in water and seeing to it that every one of them had received the same gift. Oh my goodness. Can you just see them laying around that upper him just you know sprawled out before God still kind of speaking in tongues but kind of under their breath a little just wow 
That was the most amazing day. It was so remarkable. I love the thought. And the church goes, listen, because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the church suddenly went from 120 people to 3,120 people in one day. This is the power we're talking about. It isn't just power to be a witness. The witnessing we see was implied, and it's part of it. But it was power to speak in unknown languages that also attracted the crowd in the first place. You get this? This is what the miracles are for. This is what the power is for. It's what draws people to Jesus. And it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that gave him power. Thank you, Lord. Worship team, come on back up. So on Tuesday night, as much as we've loved being with our grandkids, they're going home to mom and dad. Yeah, and it's going to be good. And I'm sure they're going to be thrilled to get those gifts from mom and dad. And, but I, you know, of course, and I do too, that more than anything, they're going to be so excited to see mom and dad one more time, to, to get hugs and to get all the loving and good stuff that, that's meant to be. The gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is God giving us the gift of himself. He really is. It's not only God living inside of us, but it is God working his power in us and through us as well. It's so amazing. In Acts chapter 19, about 25 years after this day of Pentecost, 25 years later, Acts 19, Paul comes to this group of uh, Christians that were living in Ephesus at the time. And uh, they're already believers. And he says, uh, oh, hey, by the way, first thing he has to say to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I don't know why he thought to ask that question, but maybe he saw something that thought, eh, something, something seems off here. I don't know. But he obviously thought it was important to make sure that they had gone all the way and received everything. This is, again, 25 years later. So, so he made sure that they did. And in Acts 19.6, it says, Paul placed his hands on them. And when, excuse me, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. We need this baptism, folks. First of all, it's God's will for us. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. Second of all, we need this baptism to receive the kind of power that Peter had so that he could stand up and speak to a crowd of people and see many, many come to Jesus. We need the power of God through his baptism. We're going to sing a little bit, in a little bit, Holy Spirit. But before we do that, I'm going to lead us today in, in a series of prayers, and I'm going to encourage you to pray these prayers with me. The first prayer is going to be about receiving Christ. You say, well, I've already received Christ. I know most of us already have, but maybe there's someone in this room and hasn't yet. So we want to make sure that we cover that. And it's also going to be a prayer of repentance because I believe if, uh, if we're going to get to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's good to be in a place of worship, and it's good to be in a place of like clearing the deck between us and God. Not that not that. You know, we can approach the throne of grace. Don't misunderstand me. Usually the problem is on our end, trying to clean up something we know. There's an affront to God, and, and he's still standing on the porch looking down the road at us, but sometimes we just need to come back to him. Am I making sense? So we're going we're gonna to pray a prayer of repentance, a prayer, a prayer of receiving Christ, and this is something we do quite often around here. And for some of you today, maybe this is going to be the first time you've ever prayed this prayer. Praise God. That's the most amazing thing is coming to Jesus, giving your life to him. But then I'm also going to lead us all in a prayer of, of asking the Holy Spirit to fill us again, but also to baptize us. And now, if you've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's nothing wrong with asking for a fresh baptism, is there? And so we're going to do that. But if you're here today and you say, I've never received this baptism, maybe this is the first clear teaching you think you've heard on this, and you're saying, I'm ready to receive what you're talking about there, Pastor Sal, then as we pray through this prayer, understand that, that the Lord is ready to pour out that gift and give you that gift 
if you're ready to receive it. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't freak out. You may hear people speaking in tongues. In fact, at some point, I'll probably ask people to speak in tongues. We're not going to ask for a message in tongues today, though if, if God wants to bring one, that's fine. We'll need an interpretation with that. But it's okay to speak to ourselves and to God. And so you may hear people speaking lightly in, in their prayer language, uh, just, just beginning to pray, and that's good. And, you know, uh, we're also going to, at the end, just have some opportunity that if, if anybody wants to have hands laid on them as well, I'm not, I'm not saying it's required. In fact, uh, some people were baptized in the Holy Spirit were did not have hands laid on them. But in Acts 19, Paul laid his hands on them, and they did. So uh, Lonnie and Corey will be available over there, and Brent and I are going to go over here. And we'll be just ready to pray specifically with anyone after the fact. If you say, man, I just need a, I need a jump start here. I need some hands laid on me. Let's let this gift be released. So, again... Tongues is not the baptism. Let me be clear about that. Tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit that comes, and we believe it is a gift that everyone can have and everyone should have. Okay? That's what we believe. Some people use words initial evidence. I don't choose to use those words because they're not in the Bible. But I think because Paul said, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, that's, that sounds like a shoulda to me. That sounds like somebody saying, you should do this. Let's not be afraid of it. Don't think it's, oh, this is crazy talk. This, no, this is gospel. This is, this is a, a, an important doctrine. This is a, a thing that opens up us to what God wants to do in us further as we go along in our Christian walk. Are you with me? Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.